Welcome to Lions Watch. I'm Marcus Speller. And I'm Luke Moore. Each week we're bringing you the big stories and discussion around the England squad for this summer's Euros and tracing England's evolution through the past decade. This week we're looking at the rise of Jesse Lingard and where that leaves Jack Grealish, Jude Bellingham's form, and we're turning back the clock to 2014 and jetting over to Brazil. Well, that was the worst performance I have ever seen from an England team, ever. We were totally hopeless for 90 minutes. It's another wretched night for England at a major tournament. Did you also miss a left-footed player down the left side? Yeah, but where is that player? How are we going to win this tournament as England? And England win on penalties! Welcome to Lions Watch, everybody. Or as you said on uh, yesterday's episode of the Football Ramble, we're going to talk about Roy Hodgson in Speedos. <laughs> so I'd look forward to in the second half. Into the second half. Yeah. First half, I want to talk straight off the bat about Jesse Lingard. Yeah, and I understand why. And I think we should start off by you mm-hmm. making your representations. You could be the good cop about Jesse and I'll perhaps offer a little bit more realism. But actually, to be fair... <laughs> I'm I'm perhaps not going to be quite as severe as you and many people listening will will expect. Yeah. Well, before the last international break, where Lingard featured for England, of course. Yeah. When he couldn't get past the San Marino goalkeeper, which doesn't actually bode well for him uh, in this chat. <laughs> he got uh, an assist in that game, to be fair. He did. He did. Yeah. Uh, but he hadn't played for England since um, the uh, the finals of the uh, UEFA Nations League in June 2019, when he was cruelly denied uh, a winning goal against the Dutch by uh, VAR. But since his move to West Ham, he scored eight goals and has registered three assists in nine games. Yeah. He's been magnificent. He, I mean, he's been the form player in the Premier League, you could argue, since then. Certainly one of them. Certainly English player, for yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, and also, we we have to be honest. We have to we have to we. How often have you and I, Marcus, sat in this studio when it come up to an England game or mm-hmm. a tournament and said, we have to pick players on form, not on reputation. Yeah. And and there have been many issues with England down the years that we've discussed at length ad nauseum. Mm-hmm. And one of them certainly has been players who are being picked on reputation. So players who feel like this so-called quote unquote golden generation was particularly bad for it, but it's happened elsewhere as well, where players all all of a sudden become. England players, mm. and that's it. It doesn't matter what happens; they're always going to be picked. And it, and it happened a long for a long time. Mm-hmm. You would, you would. You, I mean, Paul Scholes even said it. Paul yeah. Scholes said, and you can assess it as being him being hard on himself or being overly negative or whatever. He said on record, and I can tell you exactly where he said it. He said it on Gary Neville's soccer box on mm. Sky Sports. He said, "I was being picked for England, and my form was terrible. Yeah. No one was even acknowledging how badly I was playing. Mm. No one was acknowledging a drop off in form, and I was still being picked." Because they become, or they did become at that point, mm-hmm. quote-unquote England players. And we were screaming out for players to be picked on form. Why do they have to um, do something slightly different? Or why does it have to be seen in different terms for them to be able mm-hmm. to put an England shirt on? So on that basis, on the form, if he carries it on between now and the end of the season, he is going to make it very hard mm-hmm. for Gareth Southgate to leave him out. And that's something we should be excited about. It is, yeah. I mean, just on the note about players, I mean, with Paul Scholes, you know, if he's eligible for England, he should always be in the squad. So there is there is a bit of give and take here. I understand that, but mm. if you're if you're not playing minutes, mm. then then you've got to check because because Lingard could have been one of these players that you just described there from from a perhaps a bygone era. We hope anyway, because Lingard started in the the games in the World Cup. He was there, as we say, in the UEFA Nations League. Mm-hmm. He could have been one of those players that oh, it didn't really matter what he's doing at club level. 
you know, he's he's an England player. He's going to get in. Well, that's not been the case under Southgate. Now, I know Southgate, with his chat about I'm going to pick players on form and who are getting minutes for their clubs, there are a few little exceptions there which people might yeah. hold up to scrutiny. But but Lingard himself is not one of them because he's played his way back in to the England setup, and he, you know, on very active on social media as we know, and he was mm. he was messaging, uh, not messaging. I don't have his number. <laughs> he was uh, he was posting. Um, you know, it's so good to be back in the setup, and and you he, wouldn't need his number. He'd only need your number. I yeah. think so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and you'd go into reply, and it just would, wouldn't wouldn't happen or something. No, yeah. You know what I mean? He'll call you very much as the situation yeah. there. But also though, with Lingard, with this form and the way he's playing. It's not just the goals and the assists and all the rest of it. It's the feel-good factor, baby. <laughs> and and, uh, and but, I was with you up to that point. <laughs> no, but there is something to be said. I know this is a slightly minor point, and some people might think it's it's a silly point. But I mean, it wasn't that long he'd arrived at West Ham. You know, he's been at Manchester United for a long time, so I don't know how well he knew some of those West Ham players. There's a chance he would have rubbed shoulders with one or two of them, of course, but there's little chance with with a lot of the other squad. No, I think it's a good point. He scores that goal. Ah, I forget who it was against, and they strike up the band and do that celebration, yeah. and everyone's involved. Mm. And there is something to be said about having a character who, okay, it might grow on some people after yeah. a while, but there's something to be said about having a, 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 a guy in the squad who galvanises people, gets people encouraged, and people like being around him. And for t- international tournaments, they're cooped up in in, in um, their hotels and whatnot. It's a very, very... Um, it, can, it can be a bit stuffy. It can be a bit of a boring atmosphere. And that's one thing Southgate really wanted to do at World Cup 2018. We remember the unicorn and all that kind of business. They yeah. learnt from the Welsh side in oh, Euro. What a summer that was. Eh? Oh, but they learnt from the Welsh side at Euro 2016 who said, you know, it was a bit like a lad's holiday. Mm. Um, and, and Lingard, you know, he's a good club rep is what I'm saying. <laughs> so, I But you get the point I I'm do saying. Get your point. Yeah, I, think yeah. it's really, I tailed off a bit there. No, there's some really interesting points in there. I think... Um, I think that um, we have to also, if we're going to assess like Jesse Lingard's mm. potential in an England shirt in a tournament, fine, we've made the point that we want to see players picked on form and Gareth Southgate knows him for the reasons you've said and mm. knows what he can bring and, and those other kind of intangible things. Are Has the experience. Important. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm. He's an experienced player. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, and whatever happens now, the rise he's had, if he carries us on to the end of the season and if mm. you look at the fixtures West Ham have, mm-hmm. I would argue that... Mm. Losing top four is, is actually going to be a little bit of a disaster. Yeah, for no, him. I know what you mean. So if he continues this to the end of the season mm-hmm. and beca- and he's already part of the conversation, from where he's come at the start of the season mm-hmm. from, is it's incredible whatever happens. Mm-hmm. But here's the but, and here's something you've got to consider All because right. I know that you're positive about him and you rate him as a player, and that's absolutely cool. Is he going to be able to a be given the opportunity to do what he's good at for England consistently in a tournament, mm-hmm. and b will he have the wherewithal to do it? Now, what I mean by that is. He is a, a class of player who mm-hmm. is an immediately improved West Ham, even though they've improved great themselves over mm-hmm. the recent season. He he just immediately improves them. Mm-hmm. Secondly, he he's playing with a very carefree attitude. To me, Jesse Lingard at his best, he tries things, he carries the ball, he's got pace, he can mm-hmm. go past the player. If he's not feeling it and he's not doing it, and he's not clearly happy playing, his numbers are actually very, very poor. Mm-hmm. His, his actual contribution on paper can be poor. Mm-hmm. If I thought for one second, he could definitely automatically transfer how he's playing, yeah. what he's doing and how he's approaching it to England and mm-hmm. be given the opportunity to do so, I think you'd be a complete idiot not to put him in the squad. Mm-hmm. The issue is, I don't know if he can do that. and I don't know if he's going to be given the opportunity to do that. And therefore, is it then a waste of a place? And my final point is this. He's not played the same consistent position for West Ham mm-hmm. 
since his resurgence. He's played off the left, he's played in the hole, he's played in different places. He's also mm-hmm. been given a bit of a licence. Does Gareth Southgate think he can afford to do that for England mm-hmm. um, against, for example, a good team? Yeah, no, I, 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 I take your points there. I think actually, though, playing in the hole or playing out wide, you know, Mason Mount, I mean, with that 4-3-3 that we think he's going to play, with perhaps sort of two behind Mount or or, or two sort of shutting positions with one sort of pivot. We, well, the Lingard did play that at the World Cup, but he could be covered there. He could also be covered for the out, um, uh, the positions out wide. But I think your first point is is the one that, you, that needs more attention because Lingard is playing carefree, but when he joined West Ham... It was they're having a fairly good season. Mm. They don't have the supporters getting on their back, and we know that that can happen with with West Ham. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've got a great support, but it can get a bit feisty, as we know. Mm-hmm. Um, it, he hasn't got all that, and it was a bit of a free hit, really, at West Ham. To be honest with you, after his goal in his in his debut match, I think it was his debut. If I remember so the so. shackles were completely off, right? Exactly. Yeah. So so we'll now so these remaining seven or eight games, whatever they've got left, where now there is a bit of pressure, as you say. You look at the run and you think. Actually, you should finish top four. And so I think with Lingard, the way I would sort of want to leave this chat with him is, let's see what he does then. So the, we'll find out a lot about him between now and the end of the season. Well, I think so. I think that's a, that's a good indication. And I think that's probably where he sits with Southgate. It's kind of like, if you if you carry this on all the way up right to the, the, the crunch time, very, very few could argue against that. And, I mean, I... yeah. And, sorry, the final question was just for, for you was... I mean, where where does he play? Where does he feature? If you say that you've got your first eleven, if everyone's mm. fit, mm. if you are going to use Lingard at any point, perhaps for a bit of fatigue as they move through the tournament, mm-hmm. if we're fortunate enough to do so, or there's an injury, or he wants to try something different, where does he fit? Because in the game against Leicester, at time of recording, the most recent West Ham game he played, where mm-hmm. they go three 0 up and they win three two, he kind of played up front in a weird way with Jared Bowen, yeah, and he would, and he drifted around all over the place. But I think that goes for his, goes in favour. So I think he could be one of those midfield three actually. Or he could play out wide. You look at Colombia, the England-Colombia game, where they yep. scrape through in penalties. They yep. play a one in front of a back three and a four, then a two, and Lingard's one of the four. Mm. I don't remember an awful lot of a contribution in a very protected mm. midfield where he's got a lot of players around him. Mm. And I wonder whether he has got that bit of quality that we need because mm. England can scrape past a Colombia. Of course, Colombia won't be in the Euros, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They can scrape past a team. Mm-hmm. To me, I really want England to kick on. Me, you and Andy had this debate a while back um, where we said that, I said that England now need to move to the next stage. Mm. And you and Andy said, well, no, 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 they don't need to because it takes a long time. And it took Germany, for example, a long time. But I really want to see England actually do something against a really good team. Mm. Here's a game plan. This is how we're going to do it. And we've got the quality to do it. And I don't quite know if Lingard's got the quality at that level, mm-hmm. but you're right about what we're going to find out about him in the last in the last seven or eight games of the season. If he carries on, they get top four and he's a big star. You can't leave him out. You just can't leave him out because it makes you completely hypocritical. Okay, well, I'll finish the Lingard chat with this. It's a, an email from Taylor, uh, Nicola Henderson. Get him on the bloody plane. I don't care if most of our games are in England. Get him his own bloody plane and fly him directly onto the pitch. That beautiful bastard is our saviour. Imagine that. Would that get the right impression? Put him right on the pitch. Where's Jesse? He's in the team and then yeah, he'll be here in a minute. Don't land a plane on the pitch. No, Helicopter, maybe. What about like Holyfield Tyson with the fan on the back in the middle of the ring? Oh, let's be honest. If there's a footballer who's going to get a jetpack anytime soon, <laughs> it could be Jesse. That's the kind of thoughtful analysis we're used to. Thank you very much for that. Indeed. Jesse Lingard. Jesse Lingard! Fires in a quite beautiful third for England. Jack Grealish.
Yes. We talked about Jesse Lingard there. Jack Grealish mm-hmm. will be going for a similar position, you'd imagine, mm-hmm. especially on that sort of left side of a front three. And um, when we released our squad uh, on on the socials um, yeah. last week, a lot of people said, "Where's Gra- Jack Grealish?" Yeah. A lot of that was the overwhelming, and a lot of people have messaged in, and that has been mm. a big thing. And uh, this bastards, is, yeah. Yeah. They, I mean, we we chose three right backs in there. Mm. We might have to drop one to fit in. Gre- it's yeah. just it's so so difficult. But what do you think? What's the situation with Grealish? Because what? we've just talked up Lingard there, and uh, there's so many attacking options. And Grealish, he's a bit injured, but he would be one of those options. So we included um, from from memory, we included Henderson and Rice in there because mm. they're so key, and we expect them to be back fit. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, call me a tin foil hat man. <laughs> I wonder whether Grealish has got a more serious injury than we think, mm-hmm. and it, there seems to be information dripping out from Aston Villa that mm-hmm. oh, it's a setback, it's a setback, it's a setback, and it's now um, time of recording. There's like another two weeks apparently. Yeah, and and. Let's get this absolutely right. Yeah. I'm not criticising Jack Grealish. I'm not saying he doesn't deserve to be in there. For me, if he's fully fit and firing, he starts the games for England. You're starting him? I would start him. Right. I think he's, he, he, for all the reasons I've said before. To, he, be, to be fair, just to, when we released that squad, it was so difficult. We sort yeah. of hid behind that injury. A bit, yeah, a little we? bit. But, but there is a justification because the other criticism we got was, why have you got Henderson in there who's injured and why have you got Rice in there who's injured? Mm. Well, the point is, unfortunately, rightly or wrongly, both those players have established themselves as really important players yeah. for England. It is unthinkable for them not to be in the squad if they're fit. Yeah, yeah. If, if Declan Rice passes a fitness test mm. five seconds before they go or announce it, he'll be in the squad. We have to live in the real world here. That's yeah. the reality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jack Grealish, I think wrongly for what it's worth, hasn't been able to establish himself as an England regular. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's why it changes the situation when he's currently injured. That's why we left him out. Maybe the three right back thing was a little bit over the top, but you've got to assess the fact that England, for example, have played three at the back fairly recently, and Walker can play as a right centre back. You've got Reese James, Alexander Arnold, they offer different things. Mm. If you've got wing backs, they're different types of players. So there's lots of things to consider. And one thing that we said, Marcus, at the time, which is still absolutely true, is whatever happens, this is a nice problem to have. England are going to have to mm. leave out some very, very good players who could actually make a difference for us. Yeah. And it's going to be a bit of a lottery. But on Grealish, I mean, if, if he came back at the start of of May, he would have a handful of games. Um, but, and, and I, I'm hoping this for just one's headaches, you know, purposes, yeah. is that UEFA do extend the squad to 25 because mm. uh, that will really throw um, Southgate a bone. And I think that if he did, actually, if Grealish is kind of like 75% fit, mm. I think you do take him mm. and he's an option off the bench mm. because in, Grealish is that type of player when England are struggling to score, they need something in a game or whatever. And he is that kind of uh, potential ace card, I think. I completely agree. I think mm. I think he's, he he can do so many things really well that a lot of England players mm. can't do. Yeah, and I, for that reason, I told you. For me, on foot on form, he starts. Look at his numbers. Look at what he brings. So, but it's not about that, is it? It mm. can't be about that at the moment. That's why it's it is how it is. Mm. Jude Bellingham. Yeah, we saw him against well, Manchester City. Another player who you know, I mean, I was very young, but another player who might miss out, which is crazy given his talent. You think he's going to miss out? Well, it could happen. Oh, I don't know. Not now. I th- you don't I think. Th- well, I, I think he's a potential starter. That's that's the way Bellingham. I think he would be mad not to take Bellingham. I think England in the central of the midfield and the centre of defence. I think they're the, the the areas where England lack a little bit. And I think with mm. you mentioned about the um, 
injuries to Rice and Henderson. I mean, it's crucial that for, the, for that reason you think it's almost certain he's going to go. Well, I think Bellingham's got to go. You, you, we saw the way he played against Manchester City the other the other night, or, or the other two uh, nights, if you see what I mean, with the both legs. Um, he hasn't missed a league game for Dortmund since early January. He has been magnificent this season. Mm. I haven't seen a lot of him because I don't watch the Bundesliga that much, to be perfectly honest with you. And mm. I'm and I'm sure our, uh, some of our listeners might not watch the Bundesliga. That's very presumptuous, but you know, <laughs> uh, some of them will, but some of them won't. So for those who haven't, we asked our man Andy Brattle. To to kind of sum up Jude Bellingham and what he's done uh, in 60 seconds. Here's Andy. Jude Bellingham's first season at, at Dortmund has been absolutely fantastic. And considering the expectation that he had to meet when he arrived um, because of what went before him in Jaden Sancho, because he cost three times as much as, as Sancho, um, but he was ready straight away from uh, the season curtain raiser in the DFB Pokal at Duisburg. Um, he looked n- not just good on the ball but physically mature as well that was something that surprised his his teammates as as well as observers uh Torgan Hazard um remarked at the time and um, in the nicest possible way he looked like someone who'd played a lot of Sunday football who wasn't afraid to put his foot in and even though he's not a player that you can strictly compare to Wayne Rooney he reminds me a bit of Rooney in the fact that he's he's never looked like a kid and um, because he's someone who can do all sorts of different jobs over midfield, because he's creative, but he'll look after the rough stuff as well, that marks him apart. And I think that gives him a future in terms of the England squad that has so many creative players in midfield now. And he's someone who can knit it all together and, and do something a little different. And, you know, his age shouldn't fool you. He's ready. Slightly more than 60 seconds there. It's an Andy Brassel 60 seconds. It's like a tradesman's <laughs> 10 minutes. Yeah, it's, it's a country mile. For those of you <laughs> trivia fans, that was 74 seconds. That's roughly about how Andy would see 60 seconds, I think. Mm, yeah, yeah, I think so, yeah. I mean, when you get that right up there from Andy yeah. and from what other people are saying and so on, he has to be in the squad. I don't think there's any two ways about this. I remember um, a, a, a few months ago, actually, talking to uh, Kristen Hennage, a uh, friend of the show and um, journalist as well, and he said to me, "I think he should start." Yeah, and and this is it. He, you know, there's there's been there's been a lot of talk about um, Bellingham recently in England because of those performances against Man City. And those who have been watching the Bundesliga, as I mentioned on the on the Football Ramble podcast, it was kind of like, oh, for Christ, you've finally woken up to this guy. But the way Andy describes him in the in the comparison with Rooney, it, it, you know, small comparisons, of course. You do look at Bellingham and you think nothing seems to phase this lad. No, yeah, he's got everything. Uh, he's got the intelligence of a, of a player far older than he is and, and the stuff that he can do, which normally comes with experience, you know, things like intelligence, things like positioning, positioning, things like physicality, um, he seems to already have. The The only angle against him, against him really, is his age. So you might find, mm-hmm. and, and I'm not saying this will happen, I, I think, you know, if you, if you put my feet to the fire, I'll tell you now that I think Bellingham will go and mm-hmm. I think it's probably justified that he should go. Um the only thing I would say, kind of, in in, in kind of opposition to that, is just that if he if, if Southgate's got such a decision to make, and I think this is actually a moot point now because of the injuries to Henderson mm-hmm. and Rice, because you think he realistically, I mean, mm-hmm. if one of those doesn't make it, even yeah. just one of them, he's obviously going to go. So, but the point I was just going to make is that if you have got such a difficult decision to make, when you've got to fit somehow 27, 28 players into twenty three, and it is a twenty three, mm-hmm. you might be justified in saying, Do you know what, fine. Everyone thinks he's ready. Everyone thinks he's great. Everyone thinks he's a finished article. Everyone thinks he's the best English prospect since Wayne Rooney. He's 17. He's, next year, there's another tournament. Mm-hmm. He'll be 18 or whatever it is. It, it'll be, I think he'd be... He does turn 18 halfway yeah, through. Yeah, he'll be 19. I get the point the, you're the saying. The point is, at the World Cup, he's going to be 19 years old. Mm. So are we... 
what are we losing there by just keeping him back? Mm. Is it is I mean all I'm saying is that's an angle that they could pursue if um if they need to squeeze a certain amount of players into a smaller group. That's all. But I don't think that will happen. I think he will go. I think as we said last week, if you um if you lose Henderson, you bring mm-hmm. in Phillips, and if you lose Rice, you bring in Bellingham. I think that's just how it is at the moment. But Bellingham can do an awful lot more than just um that kind of role. He is really a complete midfield player. I read a coaching report of him fairly recently um that said he's still so young that he can probably be moulded into anything you want, mm. whatever that is, whether that's an attacking midfield player, defensive midfield player, a box-to-box, or whatever, whatever the kids say these days, a six, an eight, whatever you want to call it. He could probably do all those things, and it's very, very exciting. Just as well, just as well. In 1958, Brazil didn't say Pele's too young. Yeah, well, that is true. Yeah, there you go. The new Pele. Good luck to him. Organise a reshape here, and Suarez is in behind England. Suarez to win it. Suarez wins it surely. Now it's time to talk about England's evolution and we're focusing on World Cup 2014. Each week we're tracing the different stages of England's recent evolution to understand the highs and lows that have led up to Southgate's side today. So as we said there, this week uh, we join Roy in his speedos on the uh, Copacabana. Yeah, um, another another way of uh, titling this part of the show is yeah. the only part of the show where I start thinking to myself, why are we doing this? <laughs> so I, I give myself a really exciting first half. I'm looking forward to the tournament and I go, oh yeah, it's normally shit. Yeah, but, I, <laughs> but it's, the purposes of this are, as it suggests, England's evolution, just to remember this wasn't that long ago to how far we've come and how the feel-good factor around England is yeah. is, is important and how it's, how it's been moulded and shaped. How, how, and... How, how the feel-good factor is so well um, fostered just because the expectations are so low. Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. You live in a freezing house, here's a candle, I've never been so happy. <laughs> But I also want to say that we want the show to be accessible and interesting, particularly to people who are a bit younger. So mm. they may not remember this. It seems like yesterday to us, but it's yeah. actually seven years ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it is it is worth just giving people a little flavour, talking about things that maybe mm-hmm. have been forgotten or perhaps people weren't even kind of old enough to properly remember. So um, let's do it. Well, I, yeah, and, and just to add to that, I think that if you look at England throughout the 90s and then the noughties under old Svenigans, I, I don't think that many lessons were learned. I don't. I don't think. Yeah. I, I think the, the reason why we started two thousand and ten was well. We've only got so much stamina, of course, but also, actually, before that, I, I don't think it was that different. I think the only thing that they tried differently was to get a foreign manager in. Yeah. Really, I don't think there was much. Hang on a minute. We've got to look at this and how are we going to approach this differently and how are we going to try this? And it doesn't mean to say everything you try is going to work. Mm. as we will very much find out as we talk about this today <laughs> and, 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 and what we talked about last time with Capello yeah. into, into Hodgson. Yeah. So so I do find this this past sort of decade or 11 years of England quite interesting. It's been it's been a bit different but we we I think we're in a better um situation certainly. So England when they qualified for um Brazil in 2014 they had a fairly difficult group with Ukraine, Poland and Montenegro in there. It was a better Ukraine side. Yeah, um, than, than you'd say now. Not yeah. that they're terrible now or anything like that. Um, but they did have a couple of sloppy results, though, England. They drew one all at home with uh, Ukraine. I think it was a Frank Lampard penalty late on that sort of bailed them out. Saved it, yeah. Yeah, um, and, uh, and and so they, they weren't in, in great shakes. Um, then they went away to Ukraine, and, uh, and, and, and Roy was playing it sort of very... He was playing it very cautious. Um, they drew away to Poland. That may well have been the game when the heavens opened and uh, the game got yeah. abandoned. It could have been that game. 
um, and uh, and Montenegro, I think, was a draw as well. So it was a, it was quite cautious. We have done some research for this, but it hasn't uh, extended to weather reports. No, sadly. so we can't confirm or deny. Well, that. it was some of the most scintillating television I'd seen. Oh, they had no plan for it. When, was it Adrian Charles who turned around to Roy Keane and went, oh, "We're hearing it's 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 not a, a storm, it's a monsoon." I mean, Roy, when when does a storm become a monsoon? <laughs> yeah. And he asked him that seriously, and Roy Keane just burst out laughing. Just yeah. like, Are you really asking me that? Yeah. So we're around this time, um, and then England. It was quite cautious. It was quite Hodgson-like. We'd seen this at Euro 2012, as we mentioned last time round. Very sort of 4-4-1-1 kind of formation or a 4-5-1, quite defensive, sort of very zonal and so Nothing wrong with that, perhaps. We're wanting a little bit more. So England go away to Ukraine and draw nil-nil. And that was a part of Hodgson's plan to qualify. The journalists didn't quite see it like that after mm. the game where they absolutely panned him and he looked a bit crestfallen because he said, well, that will set up. Um, games against po- uh, Montenegro first, then Poland at home, and we'll beat them. And if we win those two games, then we're guaranteed to qualify. And of course they did, and Andros Townsend but, was involved. But there was a little bit more jeopardy, though, because mm. you're absolutely right, and uh, we discussed this briefly before the um, before we came in. My memory of it was slightly different as far as that because of what had come along in the past, mm-hmm. England had slipped up against Ukraine at home. They were very lucky to get out of that. Mm. Very lucky. A late penalty, as you said. And they'd also shown a little they could be a little bit shaky. Yes, they did have a situation because they beat Montenegro where they needed to beat Poland at home to to have it on their own terms. Mm -hmm. But the pressure was high because Ukraine were playing San Marino. And I remember Ukraine going about 3 up after 15 minutes. Oh, I mean, that's a given. And England still hadn't scored. Mm. So it could have... I I think for, for someone like Hodgson, and the way he's managed over the years. And, and we must remember that England's goal-scoring record in this qualifying group was roughly commensurate with mm-hmm. group winners. The Germany, I think mm-hmm. they got a few goals more than us. In Bosnia won their group, they got a goal less than us or a goal mm-hmm. fewer than us. So it, was, it wasn't unattacking. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the point is, it's a high strategy for someone like Roy Hodgson because if you don't get a win mm. um, against a team roughly similar to a team you've already not beaten at home in this qualification mm-hmm. process, you're not going to go through. When we were burnt with the, the Croatia match at home exactly. with, with McLaren. Went to the last game against Croatia, yep. lose 3-2 and they don't qualify. Exactly. This would have been slightly different because I think England would have gone through to a playoff if they'd not won mm-hmm. the group. So yeah. it was still but would have still been though, But England have got to top the group, you would think. You're yeah. going to go through playoff and all the jeopardy there. But so, you're right because there was nothing different. The point being, you're absolutely right, we're, in that, we're still at this point in this cyclical mm-hmm. way of playing where yeah. we would just pick the best players and what we thought were the best players and Hodgson was, I think at the time, and you correct me if I'm wrong, was billed as this guy who, do you know what? Mm. He knows how to set a team up against better teams. Yep. This will work to our benefit in a tournament mm-hmm. because when we do play in Italy mm-hmm. or Uruguay, who mm-hmm. were great at the time, mm-hmm. or we even go further than that, which of course we didn't, which you'll come on to, <laughs> and play a Germany, well, we might want to get something because look what he did with Fulham. Look what he did with this other team. Yeah. Look, you know, he, he's he's very good at setting teams up against better teams. Mm. And and a two-all draw away to Brazil in June two thousand and three, uh, two thousand and thirteen. Sorry, um, but was that a Brazil friendly where they just pick players that are local? Well, I think it was. No, no, I don't think it was. Because they do that sometimes, don't they? They do, yeah. But yeah. even so, though, again, people thought, hang on, that's, that's not too shabby. Mm. So England go into um, the World Cup, and of course, I mean, everybody knows what happens. They, they they crashed out of the group stages of the World Cup for the first time. I think it was since 1958 or something like that, since the 50s, certainly. But the difference was, though, Hodgson moved from a sort of a 4-4-1-1 or a def- quite defensive to a 4-2-3-1 for the tournament. It was Raheem Sterling's first tournament for England. Yeah. And this is the tournament now where we begin to see a few players that are still there now. Jordan Henderson was involved, um, for example. And uh, and Luke Shaw would get his first uh, minute. They were meaningless um, minutes, of course, in a, in a dead rubber, but still mm-hmm. um, he, he, he played at a World Cup for England. So 
you, you think about Hodgson being a bit stodgy and a bit defensive and whatnot. In that opening game against Italy, he played Rooney off the left, yeah. Sturridge up top in the middle, Welbeck on the right, and Sterling behind. Mm-hmm. Four very attacking players. It was quite unlike Hodgson. He went for that sort of 4-2-3-1 or 4-3-3 at times, you know. And England started to look a little bit more attacking. We thought, hang on, is he, is he, is he taking off the shackles a bit? And Sturridge had a devastatingly good season. Yes. He had scored so many goals. Mm. Um, I think it might have even been the only season he scored anywhere near like that amount of goals. It might well have been, yeah. Um, I think he scored 24 in all competitions alongside... Suarez. Yeah, Suarez is an amazing, um, an amazing kind of Liverpool side, amazing the attacking Liverpool side. So mm. for those listening to this through the 2021 lens, it, it, I mean, it's actually more impressive than perhaps it sounds with Sturridge up front. Mm. With Sterling, who was a really exciting young prospect yeah. behind him. Uh, and Rooney kind of doing what Rooney did. Um, for me, this is a really fascinating um, tournament in terms of a group stage because it plays perfectly into a theory that I've talked to you about before and that mm-hmm. we've spoken a bit about on the Ramble, which is that everyone looks when the draw is made for a tournament get about the teams you're getting in your group mm-hmm. and no one looks at the order in which you play those teams. Mm-hmm. And this is the absolute apotheosis of the example because... Had Now, I know Costa Rica turned out to be the surprise package. I know this group was the group of death. I know England and Italy went out and Costa Rica and Uruguay went through. But had England caught a cold Costa Rica in mm-hmm. the first game and been drawn somewhere, and I'm not making excuses for this, mm-hmm. but this has always dogged England. They played in Manaus. It was humidity at 100%. Yeah. It was about 35 degrees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Had the, the dice fallen slightly differently, they get drawn in another group. They get in a different mm-hmm. part of Brazil, which is a massive country, and they play Costa Rica first. Mm-hmm. It could have been different. Now, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that England that it's worthy of comment to this, on this show to the point of where everything would have been different and we'd be world champions now. Mm-hmm. But I'm saying to you, one thing we haven't introduced yet, Marcus, into this show or this list of shows leading up to a tournament is the element of luck. And whether you mm-hmm. like it or mm-hmm. not, that is a huge part of a tournament. You're absolutely right. Do, do you think England would have, it would have been different for England? Uh, possibly. A different order? Well, because again, in that Italy game, you know, you look at some of the Italian players, you know, it was, I know they went out in the first round, but they had some seasoned pros in there, you know, Pirlo and the likes. Mate, the team they had against England, yeah. Balotelli was at his peak. Mm-hmm. They had um, Pirlo Marchisio doing his thing. Marquisio was playing. Chiellini. Um, yeah, Chiellini and Barzagli, who were both great players. Mm-hmm. They had Sirigu and goal, weirdly. I completely forgot about I think that. Might, would it have been an injury to Buffon? Daniele De Rossi, yeah. Marco Verratti. It's yeah, a good exactly, team. Exactly, yeah. And, and um, I, I mean, I, I remember interviewing Welbeck sort of years after, and he said Chiellini is the best player he's ever right. played against defensively. You know, yeah. just, it was just magnificent. Pat, but, Pat Lisford, Welbeck, though, surely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. I'm only joking. I'm only joking. <laughs> Manchester United, he played for I'm only joking. Yeah. But, but yeah, the, England went 1 0 down in that game to a great goal and immediately equalised. Yes. Through storage, and you thought, oh, okay, here we go. And again, England, I remember there was a few chances. Wayne Rooney had one a bit later on. England should have got a draw out of that game. They probably shouldn't have lost it. Um, and it was the canniness of the Italians. Once they went up, they defended deep. And in the heat, it was very, very difficult. It's the second game against Uruguay that you're in question. You can lose an opening game to Italy in a World Cup. That mm. can happen. Mm. Unless you're... Um, Jack Charlton's Island it can happen okay <laughs> and uh, and England went into that game and they needed something and of course they go 1-0 down mm-hmm. Luis Suarez scores and it's kind of yeah. like oh crap and this is this is the problem that England suddenly face and I, I, friends of mine were at that game and they just saw it the likes of Leighton Baines playing for England who hadn't played that much for England before some of these other players the fear set in Yeah, the fear gripped them and he said you could tell that those players 
And we'll get to this next week when we talk about Euro 2016, which is the nadir of that, you could argue. Yeah. But the fear sets in and they go, oh my goodness, we're going out. Mm. We're about to, we're on the precipice here. Mm. And oh, I, do, I don't want to be the one to mess it up even further. To what extent what I mean. do you think that bleeds through to the players? I think I think the players do feel that, definitely. Okay. I, I genuinely do. And they, they, the friends of mine in the stadium, I mean, if you couldn't see it on TV, they said, you can see it, the body language. They were quite close to the pitch. You can just see they get the ball and they think, no, not me. And they play a simple pass. Whereas you're 1-0 down, you need something. Mm. And who was the man driving them on? It was Wayne Rooney. Mm. And Rooney gets the equaliser, his only World Cup goal that would turn out. And you think, right, Get out of there yeah. with a point, and then of course a mistake. That was that was a kind of scuffed cross by Glenn Johnson. Really comes right. at the far post, and he's there. Yeah. And and you think, okay, brilliant. It, so if you set up a, the last game, you need to beat Costa Rica to go through and all the ramifications, which obviously didn't need didn't happen. Then okay, that, that's not too shabby. Um, but then there's a mistake, and Suarez punishes England, and out they go. But this was the problem around that time is, and and it would bleed into the next tournament. There was still that talismanic complex around Wayne Rooney. Yeah. And England, he was the only one who's tried to do something and he was so close to doing it. But the players are almost looking at him going, oh, Wayne, it's down to you, mate, kind of mm. thing. And that puts more pressure on Rooney and you can't have a team play like that. So the reason I asked you how much you think that affects the players is because I think particularly in this game against Uruguay, from from my memory, mm-hmm. um, I didn't watch this game back before the show today, but I remember it fairly well, is that um, this sounds a bit like a cliche and it sounds a bit like an old school thing to say, but mm-hmm. forgive me. Whether you football has because because football's become what it's become mm-hmm. and it's a lot more skill based and a lot more athletic and all the stuff that we know about, I think people are sometimes seducing the thinking that actually being tough, working hard, mm-hmm. and showing some fight isn't as important. It is really important, mm-hmm. and I think if if the, if the fear factor bleeds into the players to the extent that you say it did, and I, I've got no reason to, to to doubt you, against a team like Uruguay, it's absolutely fatal mm-hmm. because that iteration of that Uruguay team were rough house yeah. street football players mm-hmm. who will... I mean, listen, Cavani's amazing mm. and he's he's a football royalty. Suarez is a ridiculous player. He's mm. a generational player. And I know people hate that phrase, but he is. But they also knew how to fight. They had full of really tough players. And the first thing they needed to do, England, with players who've got experience... Well, I mean, he's not had experience then, but players like Gerrard, players like Rooney, players like mm-hmm. Henderson... They had to fight, and they didn't fight, mm. and they didn't. Earn what, what what we would be told as kids, Marcus, he didn't earn the right to play. Mm-hmm. Get your foot on the ball, get the ball back, yeah. show them you're not going to be bullied mm-hmm. because it's such a high pressure situation. It was always going to be Suarez. Mm. That's just how football works, yeah. right? He comes off the back of that amazing season in the Premier League. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He gets banned after this game because yeah. he, he he gets banned for about nine games and doesn't mm. play any further part in the World Cup after the Italy game. He, but he that's he was playing on the edge all the time. I didn't see enough England players playing on the edge there. And um, if I'm being totally brutal, you've also got it peppered with players who probably weren't quite good enough. So yeah. Lambert comes off the bench, Adam Lallana, you know, Ross Barkley's flat to deceive in his career, Phil Jagielka, mm-hmm. um, you know, to an extent Leighton Baines. Great pros, mm. great worthy Premier League players. But to beat that Uruguay side. Yeah. And also as well, that's why I remember being in the pub when Rooney scores. And I just remember thinking, get out of there with a point. Mm. Get out of there. And it's that street wisdom and the ball yeah. goes over. And, uh, it, it, nonsense. The finish for Suarez's goal as well. Oh, did, well, he meant that, didn't he? The no mucking about <laughs> yeah. top corner stuff. But, but, but I want to finish this chat with Hodgson's um, you know, failed campaign in 2014 by saying in the last game, Frank Lampard retired after that tournament. Yeah, uh, he, didn't, he didn't start against um, Uruguay or Italy, I don't think. Um, but he, we talked about the anger of South Africa with, with some of the England players. When the England, fan, the England players went off mm. uh, against Germany, it was the anger of the England fans, sorry. Against Costa Rica, it was actually quite good atmosphere, mm. quite oddly. And the fans didn't give England pelters. 
as as the England team were expecting. And Lampard, he retired, um, said it was a really tough decision, even at the age of 36 or whatever yeah. it was. But some of the England players who did retire after the tournament, it was one or two, they actually nearly reconsidered because of the reaction of the fans. That was one of the things. I remember them saying that and they were like, we really appreciate that almost like the send-off we got at that tournament. Very, very different yes. to, to previous England tournaments. But it's also because, there's a couple of reasons for that, I think. One is because um, people had a chance to get used to the idea they were out. Possibly. So it wasn't, they, weren't, they weren't experiencing mm-hmm. elimination at that moment. Mm-hmm. And secondly, um, it's easy to forget that fact because that was the most forgettable England game in World Cup history. <laughs> yeah. It was, wasn't it? It was yeah, nil-nil. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Costa Rica mm-hmm. were, you know, you know they'd gone through and they they had mm-hmm. a really good tournament by their standards and and but England were already out and mm-hmm. and he played a few players as you mentioned in the past your Ben Fosters and mm-hmm. people like that who who had a chance to experience World Cup football but it was a waste of time mm-hmm. I mean I watched it out of duty rather than I know what you mean and so and so that was, it was always going to be a bit of an odd one yeah you know so um, but it did give Luke Shaw some experience it did and look where he's got to now yeah. he'll certainly be part of the conversation in 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 weeks to come but 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 summary, very quickly summarize this by. But how do you see this looking back? So do you think mm. this was still part of this cycle where we're where we're still making the same mistakes, we're do, still doing the same things wrong, we're just finding the best candidate to manage England rather than have a plan, and he's just chucking all the players in together? Um, because because my issue with the Hodgson thing in retrospect is kind of similar to the Hodgson thing with Liverpool. Mm-hmm. He can do it with players who aren't quite at that level yeah. because he makes it about repetition, he makes yeah. it about patterns, he makes it about systems. Mm-hmm. One, he can't do that because he doesn't get enough time with the players mm-hmm. at England. And two, the players are too good for that at this level. Yeah. That's probably looking back on why he became unstuck and why it reached its nadir mm-hmm. in 2016, which we'll find out next week. Absolutely right. Thank you very much for listening to Lions Watch, everybody. We'll be back next week, as Luke said, with more news and discussion and a trip back to Euro 2016. Can't Don't worry, for that. it gets better after that. <laughs> nice one. See you next week. See ya. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the Acast Creator Network.